Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Let's go there. With Shira and Ryan. Entertainment. Music. Pop culture. LGBT plus news. Let's go there. Starts now. Happy Thursday. You're listening to Let's Go There with Shira and Ryan. Here for you. You sound like Two happy Thursday. <laughs> Two to six p.m. Pacific, five to nine p.m. Eastern. You sounded tired. Oh my lordy, judgment. You think it's a happy Thursday? <laughs> I feel like I do this show with like my son. It's like a, you're my child, and you make fun of your mom all I would have said time. I would have said more sibling related type of thing, like a sibling okay. rivalry. I'm type your of older situation. sister. Yes, way older. Like born in 1872. You look good, though. You exactly. look really good. Um, I'll take that. Can I tell you what happened before you got here? Sure. Me and Vanessa. Do I have a choice? Me and producer Vanessa were in the studio. And I was telling her about this guy, right? Because, you know, I'm single. I'm trying to, like, you find are. something to mingle with. Uh-huh. And I was literally about to send, um, I was like, I'm going to show you his Instagram. And I was, like, sending, like, sharing her his Instagram profile to her, I thought. But actually, I sent it to him. Oh. And he responded being like, question mark, question mark. And I was just like, okay, so what do we do? Do I lie right now and be like, I didn't mean to do that? Or do I just confess being yeah. like, actually, me and my producer, uh-huh. I just answered your text message. Me and my producer, I wanted to show her how cute yeah. you were. And I saved it. But what if it was way worse than that? Like, what if you just, I would have just texted Ooh. him something or did something by accident or w- would have been talking mess about him and it would have just ruined the whole thing, you know? Are you ever nervous about that? Oh, yeah, I just still wanted to go back to what you ended up saying to him. Oh, um, <laughs> you kind of like it. No, I didn't kind of keep it. I, I literally said this. I'll, I'll, I'll read it right now before we. Oh, you have to read it. You don't remember? What no, you I said. don't remember. It was like actually. an hour ago. Yeah, I said uh, I meant to send this to my producer because I just listened to your voice now and okay. I wanted to show her how cute mm, you were. Uh-huh. Please ignore. Ha ha. He said I figured it was something like that. Oh, no worries. See? That's why there's no point of lying because people know. <laughs> It just makes you look bad. Yeah, true. But I feel like I could have got away with it if I would have lied about it. No, you, you. That's what you think all the time. It's just not the case. True. That's true. That's true. But either, either way, um, I'm not dating this guy, by the way, for any listeners who are still wanting oh. to jump on the Ryan train because I am uh, I'm almost fully vaccinated and she's ready to mingle after a year of quarantine. Wow. Watch out. <laughs> a lot of energy coming from the other side of the room right now. Hello, friends. From the other side. <laughs> That's what that song was about. That's what that song was about. <laughs> All right. Uh, coming up on the show, 
I'm so excited to have Saida Grundy on. She's a professor in Boston. We're going to be talking about why calling the Atlanta shootings a hate crime isn't nearly enough. Um, I'm really interested in diving into that. That's coming up in uh, 30 minutes. And for some people, coming out deserves a yearly celebration. But... Is that too much? Because I know Ryan isn't into coming out. I think coming out's oppressive, but the person who's coming on is going to, they're telling us why it means personally so much for them. Yeah. And I think it it, it, it all matters depending on whatever your situation with it is. But overall, that's kind of my thoughts on it. Right now, let's get into some what's trending this hour, though. Okay. President Biden addressed the nation in his first press conference today, where he addressed his administration's response to the surge of migrants on the U.S.-Mexico border and their pandemic response. We will, by my 100th day in office, have administered 200 million shots in people's arms. That's right, 200 million shots in 100 days. I know it's ambitious, twice our original goal, but no other country in the world has even come close, not even close to what we are doing. Now, the president also said he would run for office again in 2024 with Kamala Harris as his VP. Yeah, I mean, he's running again. And I think they tried to, uh, you know, it was a really well intense, detailed press conference today. So he really covered a lot. Um, So, yeah, it was really interesting to see him kind of show up in the way that he did. And that was what's trending this hour. What's happening in entertainment news, Ryan? Okay, so let's talk Miss Chrissy Teigen leaving Twitter. It's time for your tea report Those pop culture stories trending right now. Maybe I do sound a little too happy that she left Twitter, but that's just me personally. Um, She actually did it. Chrissy Teigen announced late last night um, that she was leaving. She's leaving the platform because of the effect it was having on her well-being, uh, she said. She said, for over 10 years, you guys have been my world. I honestly owe so much to this world we have created. I truly consider so many of you my actual friends, but it's time for me to say goodbye. This no longer serves me as positively as it serves me negatively, and I think that the right time, uh, that's the right time to call something. I've always been portrayed as the strong clapback girl, but I'm just not. Now, people are wondering, well, what led up to this moment? Yeah, well, earlier this week, Tissy, uh, not Tissy, <laughs> Chrissy faced backlash from fans uh, for announcing a collaboration with Kris Jenner on a line of cleaning products. People accused her of being a sellout. And then, of course, you all are, you already remember the traumatic pregnancy loss in October when she documented it via like images on social media. Some commenters attacked her and tried to shame her for it. So I think it's really a, a bunch of things all in once. So, yeah, I saw she's launching this uh, clean line. Yeah, yeah. Um, so people were thought she was selling out because of that. Yeah, Not because I mean, you of know, all the other things she's done. Everyone has an opinion, <laughs> and in my opinion. I think it's a b- better place if Chrissy Teigen's not on Twitter. I, I do like her, but I also really? think she also kind of stirs the pot a little bit. Mm-hmm. She she puts herself in a lot of these situations where, like she says, she is known to be this strong clapback girl because guess what? She does clap back on everything. And so there's a there's times where I do think, yeah, maybe you should step back. I mean, I think if... Uh... I, I like her. I like her too. I didn't, I didn't say I didn't like her. I like her. I think she's entertaining. Of course she puts herself into things. That's what she does. Yeah. Uh, anyway, that's your tea report. Let us know what your thoughts are at LGT Show on social. Keep the conversation going. I got more tea report coming up later in the show. Girl, the cinnamon toast shrimp guy. 
Um, he's being dragged now. It's not going good for him. What? Actually, oh, this is like the bad. perfect internet story. It's highs to lows. It's really bad. It's I mean manipulative and oh, uh, narcissistic. Those okay. are the words. We're going to talk about it later in the end. Well, uh, coming up, we've got less drama. Biden's massive infrastructure bill. What it means and how it could help make community college free. That's next with the Washington Post. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. President Biden's advisors are expected to present an infrastructure proposal split in two parts. The first focuses on roads and bridges. The second on people on areas like universal pre-K. But with all of that comes tax hikes. So it's uh, going up in taxes, of course, for getting some more stuff. Tyler Pager is back with us, White House reporter at The Washington Post. Thanks for being here. Thanks so much for having me. So how much, uh, how many would this be and how, or sorry, how much would this be and how would it help? Like all overall, what's the budget? Yes, yeah, so that I think is a, the number that we're hearing right now is around $3 trillion for the entire package. But that number is, is subject to change um, as it as it goes to the president's desk and then, you know, works its way through Congress. But that is the ballpark of of what we're looking at. And I think the way to think about it, as you outlined, is two kind of separate pieces of legislation that, that are in tandem together um, and depends on the legislative strategy they take and how they pursue the legislation. But one on the traditional infrastructure type of things, bridges, roads, broadband access. And then secondly, on these more people-focused per, uh, programs like free community college tuition, um paid leave, expanding their child tax credit. Those are the kind of things in, in the second bill. Um, and whether or not they push them through together, I think, depends on the politics at the moment and whether or not they can get any support from Republicans. Right. And Bill Gax, uh, Galston, former domestic policy advisor in the Clinton White House, said that it's the bill that will uh, be the defining moment for the president, uh, the Biden presidency. Is this something that we see that could really hold a lot of weight if he gets this done? Uh, and also, could it be you know, a failure if he doesn't get this done? <laughs> Right. I mean, this is the formalization of the agenda he proposed as a candidate, that Build Back Better agenda. Um, this is the first step in trying to push that through Congress. Obviously, the coronavirus uh, and, and the needed relief was the first thing he had to do when he took office. Um, or, you know, he says he had to do when he took office. But now it's really moving into policy making that is a little bit more forward looking and planned out. And so if he's able to accomplish some of these goals, they, they could be legacy items, as you suggest. Um, and, and, as you know, as he hopes, really transforming many areas of, of our country, just from infrastructure and, and the ways that we get around and move about our life to free community college for, for Americans. And so I think there's a lot in this package that he and his administration are excited to try to get through Congress. Yeah, I was surprised that the care economy, as it's called, is included in infrastructure. Uh, that is just interesting to me because if someone doesn't know about what infrastructure is as it relates to the government. Right. I, I mean, this is something that we saw, again, as he rolled out as a campaign and got a lot of attention from people as a critical part of the economy, the care economy caregivers, um, you know, for the elderly, for sorts of um, aspects of the economy that have often been overlooked by policymakers. And, and so this is the, uh, you know, they see this as a, as a unique opportunity to take action um, and set policy that 
that is 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 missing in, in their minds. Yeah, so it would be that amount of money, three tr- uh, trillion, of course, as you mentioned. But then it requires higher taxes, right? So that's the right. So that is impact. the part where you get into the the difficulties of, of, of finding bipartisan support. They want to pay for um, a bunch of this um, through through taxes. So you know, Biden has been adamant that he would not raise taxes on anyone making less than four hundred thousand dollars a year. But above that. Um, the, you know, the higher, higher taxes for the wealthy, uh, higher taxes for corporations. Um, and that's where it becomes difficult working with Republicans who have shown no interest in, in raising taxes in that way. In fact, you know, they passed the Trump tax cuts, which, which lower the taxes in many of those areas. And so that's the part that we're waiting for a little bit more clarity on. And, and that's, that's the key in whether or not they're going to find the bipartisan support that they'd love to get, at least on the infrastructure, yeah. the first infrastructure part of it. Okay, that was uh, Tyler Page, your White House reporter at The Washington Post. Thanks for being here again. Thanks so much for having me. Now, coming up on the show, the Atlanta shooting has put the hate crime bill on blast. But our next guest thinks calling it that isn't nearly enough. That conversation next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Calling the Atlanta shootings a hate crime isn't nearly enough. That's the headline of Saida Grandi's latest article. She's an assistant professor of sociology and African-American studies at Boston University. We love having her on. Thanks for being here. She joins us now. Hey, y'all. Hey. So it is wonderful to be here. Yes. Obviously, on not, you know, with not such good news, of course, but what, uh, you, yes. what you wrote really resonated, of course, in um, The Atlantic. So congratulations for that. Uh, but thank can, you, dear. Can you explain the complicated history with the hate crime bill that you referenced in your article and why it is important as it relates to the recent shooting? Yes. So, uh, first of all, apologies to all my legal eagles, because I am such a poser. So, you know, I'm just a sociologist who reads a lot about, you know, legal history, and particularly because, you know, I have an intersectional analysis that I bring to everything. So, it's really, you know, I love, I love, you know, um, dipping into their lane. So, you know, in researching for this project, one of the things that was really apparent to me is that, you know, the, we like to think, I think we have a public imagination about hate crimes in terms of like, oh, they must have come from like, you know, marginalized people pushing for them. And that's not actually the origin story. Their origin story is really that they expanded one when hate crimes were not on the rise. So hate crimes are not a problem. And so that's like the first like, mm, like that seems like a little suspect history. Right. They weren't a problem. And yet they were being pushed primarily by tough-on-crime legislators. So they're actually just an extension of the carceral state. What they do is not what people think they do. I think a lot of people think of them in the way that maybe the anti-lynching bill was done in the 1940s, in which we're trying to criminalize something that white people are doing with impunity, a type of violence that's not prosecuted. That's not what hate crimes do. Hate crimes are basically superfluous add-ons. They add sentencing on to legal codes we already have. If you're going to murder someone, we already have legal codes for murder. It doesn't expand our legal net in terms of, oh, now we're going to prosecute the thing we didn't before. It actually just becomes, okay, now we're at these five years onto what would already been a life sentence, most likely. Yeah. I I think the thing that I, I really think about, especially with all of this happening, is like, 
marginalized groups are never going to really see true liberation yeah. because the, of the like of the system of white supremacy that is continuously existing and it's just like how do we ever get to that point of having this like real liberation or even if a body mm-hmm. happened if we're still stuck in this system that even hate bills and hate crimes and all these things mm-hmm. existed So here's what, you know, if hate crimes were to be effectual, here's what I think they would have looked like. It would have looked like, okay, if we're talking about Atlanta, if we're talking about, you know, histories of white terrorism on black communities via lynching, what it would have looked like is we're actually going to provide resources for these communities that renders them less vulnerable, right? It would have looked like, oh, the actual communities of queer people, of trans people who are targeted by these crimes, we're going to do things for those communities that keep them not only safer, to hell with a a law enforcement idea safer, Safer in terms of we're providing housing, we're providing, you know, all sorts of, 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 of resources that actually make, make their lives so they're not on, you know, they're, they're not in these insecure, vulnerable places. You know, trans people have this very often insecure relationship with housing. What if we just had housing for trans people? Right. That would mean they were more protected, right? But that's not what hate crimes do. What hate crime legislation does is it actually, this is the irony, for all of our talk about defunding the police, hate crimes fund the police. They just give them more resources. Now, uh, yes, you're bringing up so many Ooh, amazing points. So we want to continue having you on the show because we're just scratching the surface and, and get into. So you're saying throw hate crimes out. We need to obviously look at the bigger issues here, but yet still it's around. So I want to make people understand, like, I guess how we even approach it. If it's not going to go away, how we can better approach the hate crime bill. That's next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. We are back with Saida Grundy. She's an assistant professor of sociology and African-American studies at Boston University as we talk about the hate crime bill and a great article she wrote in The Atlantic about this. So why is the hate crime bill so legally hard to define? And it it seems it's open to bias because of the word motivation as it relates to a hate crime. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's really key to it. So. One thing we need to understand is that legal apparatus in itself is piss poor at understanding how discrimination actually happens. So you all remember the OJ trial mm-hmm. in which they're like, ah, you know, here, uh, Mark, what's his name? Right. He literally said the N word. This is the actual standard for most courts in terms of proving that discrimination happened in a proceeding. You have to have like a smoking gun epithet. They have to be a member of a hate group. It has to be something that is like, undeniable, obvious, cartoonish levels of racism, yeah. right? And that's not actually how racism happens, right? So for a hate crime to be prosecuted, the perpetrator has to be, you know, they have to have pr- committed hate crimes before. They have to be uttering an epithet while committing the crime. They have to be a member of a known hate group, not just something that's on the margins, like, you know, the people who troll us. They have to be a member of an actual known, like, neo-Nazi insignia-wearing hate group. That's so what it actually does is it allows for us to have this super, super narrow construction of what discrimination and violence is, what bias-based crimes are. And then everything that's not that is not considered a bias-based crime. So yeah. it actually narrows it. No, but here's the thing. Even when 
you know, they have the proof because it was Korean news yeah. outlets that were saying, yeah. actually, this man came into this spa in Atlanta and said, I hate, I, I want to kill all the Asian people. Right. Like, it was never reported in any of the quote-unquote legacy or mainstream news outlets Absolutely. because it was a Korean-based news outlet. So it's like, even if we do have the proof, it's being blatantly Absolutely. ignored. And so here's, again, in terms of legal apparatus, so let's say that, you know, the victim survives the crime and they say, I heard them uttering some epithet at me. The perpetrator can just say, no, no, I didn't. And then there's no witnesses and it's their wow. word. Against yeah. it. That's how that's how ridiculous it is. Right. I don't remember saying that. Or if I said that's not how I meant it when I said it, you know, uh-huh. I just meant it. You know, like it, there's too many levels of plausible deniability because, again, we are looking for a smoking gun extremely narrow look like you have to come in there with the Hitler mustache and the damn I mean it got me into an argument with us uh, house my housemate last week because he was yeah. like you know oh well the evidence blah 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 I go you're telling someone who doesn't know their who is a racist who doesn't know they're racist just call themselves a racist that is yes, crazy exactly and then you're and then you're letting law enforcement decide yes. if the group is a special victim status or not. And law enforcement has a history of harming these groups, not helping them. And the guy, the chief, it was shown that he had race Absolutely. of racism. So how do we, so how, gonna, what so happens you're going to let racists absolve another racist and say, oh, this wasn't a racist <laughs> it's crime? Crazy. So what do we need to do as we end this conversation? What, what, what do you think next steps are and how we really kind of move forward to something that's better? Unfortunately, hopefully we're not so having something like this happen again. But you Yeah, know. so here's what's ironic. I think that, you know, in our history, we actually have examples of this again. I, the anti-lynching bill was great in terms of it actually came from marginalized communities. The one thing it didn't do was it didn't really encompass how half the race was experiencing white terrorism and when black women were being raped, right? So if we did the anti-lynching bill in a non-patriarchal way, that's actually a good example because that's what, the, what that did was it tried to expand the idea of what was racial terrorism. So you didn't have to be literally strung up by a tree. Right. Donald Byrd would be a lynching, you know, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, uh, burning down black churches can be covered in anti-lynching. That can be an expansion model. But the problem was that it wasn't written with black women in mind and therefore it was too narrow. But that's very different from what we have now, which are hate crimes and which tough on crime. You know, legislators like to appear like they give a damn about marginalized communities, but they don't. Mm. What they really give a damn is about buffering up law enforcement. Yeah, and bring communities in on this to create the bills. Absolutely. Yeah. Saida Grundy, you are fabulous. We love having you on. Thanks again for being here. Thank you so much, guys. Coming up on the show, we're switching gears. Cinnamon Toast Crunch Shrimp Drama, an update to the viral story. That's next on What's Trending This Hour. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Hello, we are back and getting into some what's trending this hour. But first, coming up this hour, the growing trend around a queerversary. Every year celebrating your coming out. Why this writer thinks that's the next big thing. And we're going to talk about that if you'd be into that uh, in 15 minutes. Plus, the L.A. homeless crisis and the latest having advocates fighting for change and urgency around it. That's actually happening uh, near you right now, where you live, Ryan, in Echo Park. Yeah. Well, thank you for where I live. (laughs) What are you doing? (laughs) That's coming up this hour. Oh, my God. (laughs) Let's get into someone's trending this hour. Pretend like you didn't hear that.
Mark Zuckerberg was questioned in a congressional hearing today called Disinformation Nation, social media's role in promoting extremism and misinformation. It lasted six hours where Congress questioned the CEOs of Twitter, Facebook and Google. Representative Angie Craig called out Facebook for labeling the transgender flag as hate speech. And here's Mark Zuckerberg trying to get out of that. Are you aware that Facebook has repeatedly flagged the transgender flag as hate speech and that trans positive content ends up being taken down? While transphobic content like Representative Green's video is not taken down, it is often shared widely. Yes or no? Uh, Congresswoman, I'm not aware of that specifically, but this is an, an instance of a, of a broader challenge in identifying hate speech, which is that there's often a very nuanced difference between someone uh, saying something that's racist I'm, versus saying something to denounce something that someone else said that was racist. And yeah, we need yeah. to build systems that handle this content in more than 150 languages around the world. And and we need to do it quickly. And unfortunately, there there are some mistakes in, in trying to um, t- trying to, to do this quickly and, and effectively. Well, at least he took accountability, saying we're figuring it out and we do make mistakes. So I guess he's... Um, evolving in his responses but yeah something needs to happen around that you know uh, a lot of organizations whether it be an lgbtq plus community or even um i know a uh ott company like an app for black culture and they've been flagged around advertising like it was political which is crazy and facebook definitely needs to do something about that i need to go back and i I don't remember the name actually (laughs) it was like a someone i i met like at an event. Oh, uh, okay, okay, okay. It wasn't okay. like, yeah, it's not like... I was just giving it time to plug, you know? It I will go cool. back and plug it after your tea report. Uh, <laughs> but what's happening in entertainment news, Ryan? All right, so the t- Cinnamon Toast Crunch Shrimp Saga has taken a not-so-sweet turn. It's time for the tea report. Those pop culture stories trending right now. It's called Quelly TV. Anyway, so just days after using his disturbing find to slam the brand and its maker, General Mills, on Twitter, social media has abruptly turned against Jason Kerp. Or Jensen. Jensen, whatever his name is. (laughs) Jensen Karp. Um, Basically, he's now being accused of lying, stealing a podcast concept, and shaming a former sex partner, among other allegations. Um, Let's start off with the first one. So screenwriter Stephanie Mikkis tweeted this saying, ha ha ha, my quickly deleted subtweet yesterday said, oh no, I can't follow the latest viral saga because I was blocked in 2014 because I was not gracious enough. Um, Oh my God, my screen moved. I was not gracious enough um, after a surprise threesome, but not before I was told to be careful or I would never work in this town again. Another actress um, also took to Twitter to issue a PSA regarding him, saying what you may not know about the man behind the viral post, what's like he's a manipulative, gaslighting, narcissistic ex-boyfriend who once told me he was surprised I hadn't killed myself because my life was so worthless. Um, This seems dark. I I don't think he probably really wanted all of this just from finding two shrimp tails (laughs) in a cereal box. It's like Um, the minute you go viral, it's like, how dare you get any attention? But then also, if he's a a crappy person, it's kind of like karma. This karma saga. I mean, he'll never eat Cinnamon Toast Crunch again. (laughs) 
be that's just that. Unless they send him a, a lifetime's worth of cinnamon toast. No, sponge. apparently that uh, they want to investigate. They're gonna have like the police involved investigate like how it got in there because it could be like tempering with food and all that stuff. So well, you just yeah, never it's know. A it's a pretty yeah. big deal. So um, head over to weirdchannelq.com to find out more about this crazy story because I know he is stressing out. Um, and of course, keep the conversation going at LGT Show everywhere. That's my team report. Thank you. Now coming up on the show, one gay man is sharing why coming out deserves a yearly celebration. Writer Joseph Lamore from Mike.com joins us for that next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Are you ready to celebrate your queer versary, an annual celebration for your coming out? Well, Joseph Lamore seems to think so, that this is the next big thing. He's a writer, artist, and musician who joins us now. Thanks for being here. Oh, thanks for having me. So, one, is this a growing trend or are you just starting it? Because uh, you talk about coming out and how it deserves a yearly celebration. Well, I think, um, well, maybe... Um, Attributing this to me, maybe uh, a, a little bit. Um, I, I, I might be a, a, a little bit behind the trend, um, as you know. I, I'm what thirty, thirty, almost thirty-eight now, um, and I just came out to my parents. <laughs> Although I did at one time uh, when I was sixteen. Um, but uh, so celebration, um, you know, is is a very big thing in the gay community. Uh, LGBTQ community, um, and uh, while we celebrate Pride every year, I feel like um, we each should have our own little celebration for you know that hard time where we um, may, maybe came out to somebody who um, didn't um, exactly um, celebrate with us. Mm. Yeah, Joseph, I I think your article is very interesting. To be quite honest, my first thoughts about coming out, I feel like it's very oppressive. I think kind of coming out can make people feel othered and then also it attaches negative feelings, especially if your coming out experience is just awful. But I loved in your article that you talked about celebration may not necessarily mean happy. Celebration may not mean that you you have to be in a good place to celebrate. It's about more so remembering those moments. Can you a little uh, kind of elaborate on that more? Yeah. Like, so when I came out, um, well, both times I came out to my parents, it, it wasn't the, best experience um the first time when i was 16 it was kind of traumatic a little bit um they're both haitian and they're both roman catholics so you can only imagine oh, what the reaction me. was <laughs> <laughs> yeah i'm, I'm yeah. a i'm a i'm a religious kid i grew up in religion heavily as well so i get it <laughs> yeah 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 exactly and so like now um you know almost 38 um i came out again to them you know just to reaffirm what what was going on in my life? Because um, I'm, you know, I'm dating somebody and it's getting kind of serious. And Ooh, um, you know, I just kind of wanted to warn them just in case something was gonna yeah. come down the pike. You know, some invitations or something. So anyway, um, so like when I came out to them this time, it was not the best. They only mentioned Jesus once, um, but I mean that sounds like a win to me. Probably yeah, Jesus it, once. It, it, it really, yeah, just once, just one time. It was it was very surprising. Um, but like you know, it was it still wasn't the best. So like uh, next next year, I'll like remember that day because like I I I like even took off from work the next day because it was like a little bit traumatic. Yeah, <laughs> it was still a little bit yeah. So that's that's, so, yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, and you know how Facebook loves to remind you of those moments, that those worst <laughs> moments in your life. Um, like I felt, I felt felt like you know that was coming down the pipe in a year, and I was like. You know what? Next year, I would like to not like 
celebrate. I'm not going to, you know, like blow any balloons up or anything, but, um, you know, just to like remark on that time that where I was, you know, strong enough to, to reaffirm myself to people that I was expecting, you know, not to accept it. Um, fully. Yeah, you're shifting the story, the narrative, right? Instead of looking back at that moment as something, you know, could be traumatizing, right? And continue to be triggering, you're saying, oh, I'm gonna make it into something positive for yourself. Is that true? Joseph? Oh, I think. Oh, <laughs> Joseph. Now we're Hopefully going through a traumatic scare, experience. We didn't scare him off with oh my that God, question. Joseph. I mean, here's the thing. I think this is beautiful, right? When you're you're talking about um, kind of celebrating your queer anniversary, and it's not even really what it means. It feels like it was kind of a clickbaity thing, right? Where exactly. It feels like, mm-hmm. oh, there oh, he is. Are you oh there? my goodness. Uh, <laughs> what happened? <laughs> Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. Uh, 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 wait, can you guys hear me? Yeah, yeah we can. Can. <laughs> I feel like we're on Clubhouse yeah. or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, I was, uh, I'm on an iPhone, and you know how those are. So, <laughs> so I'm probably, like, dipping in and out. No, you're perfect. Um, you sound great. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So, like, I, it, it's not, it, like, the, the word uh, queer anniversary is just uh, my and my editor's attempt to enter, like, the lexicon somehow, hopefully. Hopefully people will use that um, more. Um, but, uh, like, essentially, you know, you don't really have to call it anything, but, you know, just a, just a little a reminder on your calendar that, uh, you know, that day you were strong. You know what I mean? Oh, we love I that. I like that. Yeah, yeah, thank you so much for that motivation and empowerment and positivity today. That was Joseph Lamore, who's a writer, artist, and musician. Check out his uh, piece about this on Mike.com. Thanks again. Thank you so much. Coming up on the show, the L.A. homeless crisis and the long-term solutions advocates are fighting for. That's next. An encampment in L.A. is at the center of the growing homeless crisis in the city. And Libby Denkman, <coughs> sorry, I just had a cough. Who's a reporter at NPR station KPCC in Los Angeles has been on the ground bringing hashtag Echo Park Rise Up coverage to all of us. Thanks for being here. Hey, thank you for having me. Welcome to the gay NPR. You're on the regular NPR. We're the gay NPR. You're welcome. (laughs) So, Libby, we really appreciate your coverage and everything you're doing. Uh, To give some context, what exactly happened and led up to this? Yeah, so there's been a homeless encampment on the northeast side of Echo Park Lake for over a year now. And during the pandemic, it's really become kind of like a little commune. They've built showers and a garden now, yeah. yesterday, there was this big rumor that there was going to be a clearance of the camp by LAPD. And so hundreds of people showed up yesterday morning uh, to, you know, really show solidarity for the folks who lived in the park and uh, ask LAPD and the city to leave them alone. But last night, it really went down where there was just hundreds of cops and uh, protesters who clashed near the park, um, basically, as the LAPD was trying to help erect fences around the park. They shut down the entire park and all the streets around. And now the homeless residents are being forced to move out of the park by 10.30 p.m. tonight. Yeah, it's, it's I mean, it's honestly so disgusting what we saw last night in the videos and even your tweets where you were interviewing so many people. Um, but can you tell us who Mitch O'Farrell is? Because he seems like he is the person that everyone is kind of like really trying to hold accountable in this mess that it basically has been created. 
Yeah, so Mitch O'Farrell is the city councilman who represents the area, and he's really kind of stuck between these two constituencies. Uh, One is this vocal group of not-in-my-backyard type of people who live in Echo Park or other parts of L.A. who say they want the people who live in the park to leave. They want to clear the tents away. Um, And then on the other side is this really large and growing contingent of folks who say this is a huge housing crisis in Southern California and everywhere really in the country. And right now, especially during the pandemic, is not the time to be disrupting people, to be moving people. The CDC even says that you shouldn't move homeless residents um, from where they're living because of, of health concerns. So O'Farrell is the city councilman who authorized the clearance of the park. And he's sa- saying that the park needs to be repaired and shut down and that the homeless folks need to go. And they did provide some solutions, I mean, barely in the midst of this. Uh, what were some of those? Yeah, so there is a Project Room Key Hotel being offered to each of the homeless residents who stayed in the park. Um, and that is like a hotel that the city is contracting um, to have rooms available for homeless residents. Those are temporary, though, and several of the homeless residents I spoke to say we don't want to have to get uprooted in another three or four months once the COVID pandemic is over and those hotels want to go back to making regular money and having regular customers again, the homeless folks will have to move. So there is a, a big uh, argument about what, whether there is enough uh, services being offered there at the park, and several of the residents say that the solutions just don't fit what, what they need. And, and they're not long-term sustainable solutions. Uh, we're going to take a break after this. Uh, you did talk to multiple individuals that were on the ground there who are on house. We want to hear from you what they're thinking and what they hope can be a solution. That's next. Libby Denkman is back with us, a reporter at NPR station KPCC in Los Angeles, reporting about everything happening with a homeless encampment in Los Angeles, really part of the growing homeless crisis here in the city. And now you've been speaking with a lot of people on the ground there. What's the overall sentiment? Yeah, I was um, with a homeless gentleman named Henry this morning who was stuck outside of the police line. He was not allowed to get back into where the encampment is uh, next to the Echo Park Lake. And he was really desperate because his wife was inside the police line and he wanted to get in to help her pack their things. Um, Henry also has a dog. He and his wife um, don't want to go to the hotel rooms that are being offered because they won't be able to take their animal. And they also don't want to be subject to a curfew, which is present at the hotel sites because the nurses who work at the hotels have to check for COVID symptoms as the homeless residents are returning. And at a certain point, the nurses go home. And so you can't enter the hotels after a certain hour. So, you know, he's one homeless resident, Henry is, who um, finally did get back through the police line to reunite with his wife today. But he says that the options that are on the table for them just don't work and they really want to be able to stay in Echo Park and, and continue camping. Yeah, I do wonder, you know, Governor Gavin Newsom, he's kind of getting some uh, some heat because people are calling for a recall for him, right? I do wonder, have mm-hmm. we heard from anything from him or Eric Garcetti about, you know, the ongoing homeless crisis, especially what's happening in our backyard? We've been trying to get in touch with Mayor Garcetti on this. We haven't heard anything from the governor specifically on the Echo Park 
clearance that's happening right now. Um, we do know that, you know, Governor Newsom, of course, is facing a likely recall. It hasn't officially been called that the recall petitioners have enough signatures to get them on the ballot, but it seems almost certain that it will be on the ballot in the fall. Um, and Governor Newsom really promised, especially early on in his uh, time in office, that he was going to build hundreds of thousands more homes in California every year to try to solve the home- homeless crisis and the housing crisis. That hasn't materialized. Of course, the pandemic uh, really just exacerbated what everybody is facing. So uh, certainly, you know, we are looking for uh, officials to make comment on this. But thus far, we've really only heard from Mitch O'Farrell, the local city councilman. Yeah, because what is the long term solution here? I mean, this seems like it's reached that next level where it's it, we can't ignore this at this point. Yeah. And, you know, one example that folks talk about in terms of long term solutions is something that's evolved out of the hotel rooms that are on offer right now. It's called Project Home Key, which is where the city and the county actually buy hotels and do create permanent uh, options for folks to actually stay indefinitely in supportive housing. But that Project Home Key is full. I mean, there are no extra beds right now. And that's something that not everybody can qualify for based on their pre-existing health conditions and their age. So really, I mean, there just has to be a whole lot more supportive housing that's not available right now. And ultimately, it's not always going to be everybody's cup of tea to live indoors. And that might be something that Los Angeles has to face. There are supportive camping options in other cities that have created more of like a you know, place where people are allowed to have uh, their tents and have sanitation Mm -hmm. services. So that's another thing that maybe Los Angeles will have to start looking at. Okay, that was Libby Dankman, uh, a reporter at NPR station KPCC in L.A. Thanks again for being here. We appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Now coming up, New York City Mayor Bill de Blasio's plans to bring Broadway back. That's next on What's Trending this hour. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Coming up on the show today here on Let's Go There, which, by the way, we're here for you from 2 to 6 p.m. Pacific. It's 5 to 9 p.m. Eastern with the news of the day, music and so much more. But we're going to be talking about uh, what's behind the rush to return to normal. Experts have something to say about that in 15 minutes. Plus, new relationships that started in COVID. Will they be able to last once it's over? Ooh. Mm. You might be in that. You know, uh, some Someone listening? Oh, I thought you were talking. You were pointing it at me. You might be in that, or you might have a friend that's involved in something like that. Well, you know, it's it's interesting. Also, friendships. You have maybe friends you met virtually, or maybe they're in your bubble. Will it last? Will you be that close once this is all over? I mean, I'm. You should be asking yourself that, right? You started your relationship in quarantine. I, I'll be sharing my story <laughs> in thirty minutes. Are you questioning your relationship? No. Is that okay? Although I did have a dream last night where I think, like, Chris, my boyfriend broke up with me. And then I was so sad telling people, like, yeah. And I'm like, now I need to do this all over again. You know, you've been having uh, some dramatic dreams. Like, you told me you were screaming at uh, homophobic, transphobic people and white men in your dreams. And then now you're you're dreaming Just about like, that he broke up with you. There's a lot brain. of stress in your life right now. I just want to give you a hug. I think it's time for, oh, thank you. I do. I really do. It's time for do. a vacation, Maybe. Maybe. Yeah, and then I'll be, uh, I just don't have any more money, and then I'll be <laughs> more anxious. Maybe I should go to Paris. Paris. Wee <laughs> oui, wee. Oui.
I wanted to give you something to lighten up to your feelings. Oh, thank you. I tried to you know, make you feel like you're I on a Disneyland like ride. Bob Marley, like chill music. <laughs> I always think of Bob Marley when I think about going to Hawaii. Oh, God. No one give me a that. croissant and a cappuccino, please. <laughs> Let's get into this. All right, what's trending this hour? New York City Mayor Bill de Blasio announced a plan to vaccinate theater workers and bring Broadway back in the fall. Now, there's a great saying in the theater, the show must go on, and the show will go on, on Broadway and off-Broadway when we get to the fall, and we're so excited about that. But the work we have to do now to get the theater community ready to make sure that this extraordinarily wonderful and important industry is good to go for the fall. We've got to do that now. Six months from now, it's a long time, and the world's going to be, I think, a much better place by the time we get to September. Exciting stuff, because there's a lot of people that have been unemployed for a long time. It's been a big hit on the city and that community and industry. So that's very exciting that they're working to change that. Uh, Now, also in New York, you mentioned something during the break, Ryan. What's happening in New York? Oh, yeah. So recreational marijuana will be legalized in New York after state officials finalized the deal on today. Um, According to details obtained by the New York Times, the deal would allow delivery of the drug and permit uh, club-like lounges or consumption sites where marijuana but not alcohol could be consumed. Individuals would also be allowed to grow uh, grow up to six marijuana plants at home for personal use. You see what happens when you don't like your governor and he's trying to win you back over? He legalizes weed. Gives you a lot of <laughs> So now you can smoke weed and go to watch the I think Broadway. that's what he's doing. I think, um, what's his name? Andrew Cuomo. He is trying to get everyone high so they forget about his sexual harassment claims. Yeah, I, I made a joke about that when we originally announced it. Oh, you did? I remember it. Ah uh, well, I mean you've you stolen jokes from me too, so it's about my it's about turn. It's literally my turn. <laughs> Hashtag my turn. Uh, now, uh, finally, the GOP-controlled Georgia legislator pushed an elections bill through both chambers today. It would establish new voting restrictions on citizens in a state that helped secure Democratic control of the White House and the U.S. Senate, which is why it's no surprise that they're pushing this. The legislation would impose new voter identification requirements for absentee ballots, empower state officials to take over local election boards, limit the use of ballot drop boxes, and make it a crime to approach voters in line to give them food and water. I mean, (laughs) really? And of everything happening in our country, (sighs) that's the thing you want to focus on? I know, I know. It's embarrassing. Uh, President Joe Biden said in his first White House press conference today that he will do everything in his power to stop efforts to restrict voting rights, saying that he thinks the efforts underway in state legislators are un-American. And that was what's trending this hour. What's happening in entertainment news, Ryan? Okay, so Britney Spears just took a major step to stop her father from controlling her life. Um, it's time for the T-Report. Those pop culture stories trending right now. So we all know the Free Britney doc and the Free Britney movement is going insane. It's going crazy. Well, guess what? The pop star has requested that her father, Jamie Spears, be permanently removed from overseeing her personal affairs and her conservatorship, which is a pretty big deal. Um, the superstar is also requesting that she reserve the right to petition for the termination of this conservatorship. So if y'all are wondering what Britney thought about the documentary, what she's been thinking, girl, she's trying to get her daddy up out of here. Literally. This is a big moment. The next hearing in Spears' case is set for April 27th. So I guess we'll see what happens because... 
It seems like Britney is really kind of stepping forward and being like, I want to run my own life at this point, and maybe some sketch stuff is happening in her world, so. Do they have uh, people there to, uh, what's it called? It's like, oh my God, in a court, you know, you're uh, a jury. jury. Do they have a jury? No, I don't think for something like this. This is like so high level. Like they would ask you if like, do you have bias? Have you watched the Britney Spears documentaries? (laughs) It kind of reminds me, unfortunately, like that Netflix movie, I Care A Lot. Mm -hmm. I think it's something like that, something sketch. But I mean, I'm just happy that she finally took this major step. If you want to know more about what she's doing, head over to WeAreChannelQ.com. And of course, keep the conversation going on social media at LGT Show Everywhere. What does Hit Me Baby One More Time mean to you? Uh, I mean, it. Well, <laughs> oh my God, what an like, extra sensual question. That was just a joke of like the jury. <laughs> okay. I was like, I, 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 unfortunately, I kind of went to a dark place and thought about like, are you talking about like domestic violence? Okay, okay, moving on. <laughs> well, then maybe you would be asked to be on the jury. <laughs> I'm like, oh no. Why experts say we're rushing too quickly to return to normal despite still being in the pandemic. That's next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, Channel Q. As COVID-19 vaccinations continue to be administered across the country, and of course, announcements of even more coming out from President Biden, uh, and new cases of the virus are trending downward, which is great. So many companies are jumping on the reopening bandwagon, and I would say a lot of us feel like it's kind of getting back to normal a bit. Uh, So what's behind the rush to return to normal? beyond that. I mean, it seems like that's a good enough excuse to feel like I don't know. I'm not rushing, to be quite honest. Like, I want to take baby steps into this world called normal because I'm nervous still, even though I got my first vaccine. Congrats. (laughs) Uh, Well, Dr. Gail Saltz is with us, an associate professor of psychiatry at the New York Presbyterian Hospital. Uh, We'll... Cornell School of Medicine and host of the How Can I Help podcast. Thanks for being here. Sounds friendly. Hey, it's great to be here with you. Thanks. So it seems to me like you see the data, you see all these things happening, and it would make sense that including businesses who have just been so hurt by this are reopening as soon as possible. Uh, But is it too soon? And what's behind the rush psychologically? So psychologically is different from, you know, public health care, medically speaking. You know, we're really at an in-between time where there's basically a race going on between variants and the vaccine. And so we're we're not really at some clear-cut point of opening up everywhere. But some places are in a better position than others, depending on, you know, what their numbers look like. But that's different than psychologically, which is, as the two of you just demonstrated, some people are chomping at the bit, can't wait for someone to tell them it's okay to get back to what they had before. Basically, they want, they want their life as it was pre-pandemic um, because for many reasons, it probably felt a lot better. It felt a lot safer, felt a lot less scary. Um, they enjoyed partaking of all the things social things, economic things um, that they had before. But for many people, this year of being hunkered down and basically being frightened into giving up all of the things that they gave up in order to be safer, um, it doesn't just instantly disappear, right? So many people, whether you talk about kids going back to school or adults going back to work or out to restaurants, a lot of people are going to have a lot of anxiety based on a full year of sort of 
having used that anxiety to do what they had to do, and it's it's still there, and so it's going to feel potentially scary or anxiety-producing to go back out and do things that they used to do because, of course, no one can tell you that there is zero risk, right? We're not going to have zero risk. We're just going to have greatly diminished risk. So, doctor... And while you... You take those risks all the time. You cross the street, but there's not a zero risk. You won't get hit by a car, right? There's not. Right, a, right. We do things all the time. Yeah. But in this setting, having we're so attuned to this risk that it makes it hard to accept that we go through life all the time taking a little bit of risk. So, Dr. Gay, I think what's interesting is what we're seeing in Miami, right, where spring breakers are going wild and everyone's kind of just going back to what we once knew the world to be. But I think it also has to do with the messaging. And, and Florida was one of the states who were one of the main people kind of just forgetting or acting like the pandemic really wasn't happening. So how much is the, the messaging surrounding kind of how people are reacting to the pandemic and even the COVID fatigue that we see is playing into that? Because I feel like we can't just blame the people who are feeling optimistic about returning back to life. I do feel like it's a little bit of a messaging thing, too. Uh, couldn't, couldn't agree with you more, right? We look to our leaders to as, you know, the authorities who we think will have our best interests at heart. And so, you know, whether we're talking about a president or a a senator or governor um, in combination with, you know, public health officials to give us the, the, you know, accurate picture (laughs) of safety. And uh, as you can see across the country, right, those those messages are are incredibly varying uh, depending on the perspective that someone wants to take politically and economically. And yes, that informs how people feel um, about their safety and and what's okay to do. You know, you have to see that what's going on in Florida doesn't have to do uh, just with Floridians. In fact, it has to do with a lot of people coming from outside of Florida being told they got the green light. It's fine. And then, of course, as soon as they got there and did what, frankly, you would have expected that they would do because they were told it was fine to do it. (laughs) Um, Then they got the other message. (laughs) No, no, uh, don't do that. So it's, and that, that going back and forth, those mixed messages, that disrupts our ability to have confidence in our leaders and they're having our best interests at heart. And, and that erosion of trust, well, that also affects how safe people feel going out and returning to normal. Yeah, that's why just take care of your mental health and be compassionate uh, to yourself and also others who are probably going through their own journey around this because it's easy to like... No doubt about it. uh, Empathy, kindness, not everyone sees things the same way. Absolutely. I gotta say, you have the best radio voice ever, which is why you're She does have a podcast, How Can I Help? Dr. Gail Saltz, thanks again for being here. That's great. Well, thanks so much for having me, guys. Be well. Coming up on the show, uh, we're continuing to talk about things happening as we get out of the pandemic. You know, many new relationships began during this time, but will they end once it's all over? We've got a therapist here to help a couples therapist with that next. That was good. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. So you met someone and fell in love in the pandemic. Love in the time of COVID. But will it last beyond that? After you get your vaccination, well, your dreams of going to Paris end as quickly as they started. Joining us right now is Alicia Munoz, who's a certified couples therapist and author of three relationship books, No More Fighting, A Year of Us, and The Couples Quiz Book.
Is Thanks she like for being a Cupid here. or something? Three relationship <laughs> books. That's intense. <laughs> it's good to be here. So uh, a lot of people are talking about the turbo relationship as it relates to those relationships that started during COVID. What does that mean? So turbo relationships are ones that formed over the course of the pandemic mm. with the kind of survival pressures of, you know, avoiding isolation dreading quarantine and wanting to partner up so you're not stuck alone uh, for an uncertain period of time. That makes I mean, sense. Sounds Turbo. really familiar to me. He's saying that <laughs> because I met uh, my partner and lover uh, during the pandemic. And, and so I guess how do you know if it's a turbo relationship, which seems like it might be, yeah, a bit uh, codependent out of survival, maybe not long term, to something that's going to last? Well, it would be important to um, assess how you feel for this person. You know, are you with them because they soothe your anxiety, reduce your your feelings of, of dread, or mm-hmm. do they actually inspire you and excite you? Oh, that too. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, I wonder, why would someone second guess once they're both vaccinated why would someone second guess if they're in love with their partner because i would assume the vaccine's not going to magically just change your feelings that's very true um at the same time with the world opening up and now you can travel and you can party and you can go out and meet more people and connect with more people, that freedom and all those opportunities sometimes make people second guess their partner choice when they made that choice uh, out of fear. Wow. That makes sense. So what advice do you have for people? Like what should individuals be thinking about, but then also bringing to their relationship? Well, it's sort of basic therapy 101 advice, but uh, I think it's something that all of us can struggle with at times. And that's just to have honest conversations about why you're together, what what attracted you to each other, not necessarily to judge yourselves if you did get together because you didn't want to be isolated and alone through the pandemic, but really to just reassess, you know, where do we want to go from here? Do we have a, a shared relationship vision? Uh, you know, do we actually want to evolve in, in, in this new world, in this new normal? What if you're unsure still? What if you're just like, I'm just going to keep doing it because I'm, I'm, I'm pretty fine right now. It's comfortable. Yeah, I'm comfortable. <laughs> Is that good? Because I, I do think if you get too comfortable in something, that means like, are you just like, you know, kind of getting to be stuck or something? I don't know. What am I saying? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I think then you're just joining the ranks of the rest of us in our relationships who we live with that uncertainty a lot, you know, of, of there's no real absolute guarantee in connection. It's something you have to sort of reconnect, re- recommit to every day. Can I ask you a personal question? Absolutely. What relationship made you want to become a relationship expert? <laughs> You know, I feel like there has to be that one relationship that was like, you know what, I'm going to change the whole lack game. Of, or maybe the past parenting. <laughs> That's a great question. Well, you know, I think um, uh, probably dating the Serbian diamond thief might have done it for me where I'm like, okay, I have to reassess. You dated a who? What? <laughs> a prince? A Serbian diamond person? You left money? <laughs> <laughs> not just monetary love right yeah joking joking aside though i i think for me it's uh it's just my i met my my current 
partner, my husband, in a couple in actually group therapy. So um, wow. that was my motivation. Yeah. Wow. I appreciate that. Find yourself a person who's also in therapy. It makes a world exactly. of difference. Honestly. I agree. Totally. Totally. They have to be willing to work on themselves. Yes. Agreed. Alicia Munoz, thank you so much moment. for being with us today. We appreciate it. You're welcome. Such a pleasure. Get our three books. Yeah. No More Fighting, A Year of Us, and the Couples Quiz Book. It's pretty great. I want that. I should oh get God. that for Here we go. Play with my partner. <laughs> Coming up on the show, this mom went viral on TikTok for what she let her five-year-old daughter do. We'll be talking about that next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. A mom went viral on TikTok for sharing her five-year-old daughter's decision to change her name. Now, this five-year-old is one smart cookie. Let me tell you, uh, at Brie underscore mom three posted a series of videos that tell the story of her five-year-old daughter and why she wanted to change her name from Charlie to Charlotte and how far she went to do this. This is wild. Here's a clip. She hustled and she had $80 in her hands when I picked her up from practice. Then... She kept raising money. She's raised over 150. So my girl has like $150 to change her name from Charlotte to Charlie. She also wrote me, or from Charlie to Charlotte. She had my dad make her a backpack that says Charlotte on it. She's gone by Charlotte for a whole year. She said, she wrote me an opinion piece where Charlotte is a better name than Charlie. What do I do, TikTok? Help me. Why would she ask TikTok for their their opinion? Because, you know, TikTok's the expert. That's a lot just, of experts there. That's, like, really weird to me that her first, like, instinct was to be like, I'm going to ask everyone on TikTok about my daughter who wants to just change her name. I mean, it seems like the place where a lot of people have opinions, that's for sure. And also, I think she would she's going to realize that little girl, that Charlie is a way cooler name than Charlotte. I like Charlie. I actually I do. I love Charlie. You know, when Charlotte I was younger, is the pig. No, Charlotte's Web. Charlotte's Web. Well, who was the pig? Uh, Charlotte's Web. was Charlotte was the spider because it's her web. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, all right. I just so here's the thing. I when I was younger, I really wanted to be named Stacy. Stacy, and I'm so happy that I didn't change my name to Stacy. I mean, I'm happy too because I mean, you would really be like a whole white woman. <laughs> Stacy and Ryan. Shira is so <laughs> Shira is such an interesting, more I know beautiful name. That's the thing is when you're younger. Sometimes this is a generalization. You don't see. You don't get it. You don't see that. However, we do respect the. Uh, the choices of young people. First of all, this song had nothing to do with her gender or her sexuality <laughs> or anything. We're not doing any of that. We're talking about her name. But I think it's there, also there's a possibility cool. that kids make bad decisions. And yes. maybe just, I would I would say, as a nickname, because you know, in, in, in That's schools, true. you could ask, like, oh, your real name is this. But, like, the teacher will be like, what would you prefer to be called? Maybe she just prefers to be called Charlotte and, you know... That's just it. But her actual name is Charlie. She even looked up, did some research to find out how to change your name in the state of Indiana as a minor. So you have to go to court, pay around $200, have both your parents sign off. So she started, as her mom said, to raise that money herself. And I think ended up raising the entire amount. She is too grown for her own good. Like, what else is she finding out? But, I feel like she's going to hack into the nuclear okay. codes or something. This is someone who ends up being like a major leader, politician, CEO. She's hilarious. I love it. And so, her backpack. Yeah. Cute. I just, 
Charlotte is just a, you know, I like Charlie a lot. I think she, once she gets older and starts to realize that, oh, I want to have a cool name, Charlie. We'll see until she creates the next million dollar company as a 10 year old. And, and she's like, I, t- I told Charlotte. y'all, Charlotte is a bad <laughs> No, it's going to be called like Charlotte and go public, I think. It's when cute. She's a teenager. It's cute. Okay, let us know what you think of this. Would you let your kid just change their name if they wanted to? At LGT Shows, where you can find us on social media. Coming up on the show, we've got news around the AstraZeneca vaccine. An update from Monday. That's next on What's Trending This Hour. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Yeah, coming up on the show. We're having way too much fun. I'm having a good way time. Way too much fun. I really am. Coming up, what could be in Biden's massive infrastructure bill from free community <laughs> college to upgraded roads and bridges? You know, news with a twist. Plus, I don't know if this is uh, good to have this music oh. on. We're talking about the L.A. homeless crisis. This and the been... long-term solutions advocates are fighting for. Thank you for the change of music. I mean... You still want to be hopeful to fight for home, and, uh, the you know, Of course. And uh, we have an NPR reporter here joining us for that who's been on the ground in Echo Park reporting about this story. Great stuff. Uh, but right now, let's get into some what's trending this hour. The man accused of gunning down uh, 10 people at a Colorado supermarket faced a judge today in his first public appearance since the mass shooting in Boulder. The judge ordered Al-Aliwi Alyssa, who's 21, held without bail and said his next hearing is to be no sooner than in 60 days. Moving on, drug giant AstraZeneca updated its data on how well its coronavirus vaccine works, saying late last night the vaccine showed 76% efficacy against symptomatic coronavirus disease and 100% efficacy against severe or critical disease or the need for hospitalization. Uh, The vaccine was 85% effective in preventing symptoms in volunteers 65 and older also. This, of course, comes after this press release came out Monday where the numbers um, were questioned and they had to come back from that statement. Uh, But these numbers aren't that different from the numbers they released. As with Monday's data, the company has released this via a news release, but it's not in a peer-reviewed report or a formal submission uh, for the U.S. Food and Drug Administration review. So I wonder if this will be questioned too, but it seems like they're trying to cross their T's and dot their I's now and build more trust because this is the vaccine that's being given to Canada and Mexico from the U.S. So uh, we don't, we want to make sure that it's built, build some credibility or else it's going to continue to feed into skepticism around it. And uh, that was what's trending this hour. What's happening in entertainment news, Ryan? Okay, so we haven't touched on it yet, but before we end the tea report for the show, mm-hmm. I wanted to make sure that we highlight Jessica Walter. It's time for the tea report. Those pop culture stories trending right now. So Emmy-winning actress, best known for her role as the endlessly memeable Lucille Bluth in Arrested Development, has unfortunately passed. Uh, Walter died in her sleep at um, her New York City home on Wednesday. Her daughter Brooke ba- uh, Bowman. Uh, who is a Fox Entertainment executive, also confirmed the news. Um, basically, in a statement uh, she put out, she said, it is with a heavy heart that I confirmed the passing of my beloved mom, Jessica, a working actor for over six decades. Her greatest pleasure was bringing joy to others through her storytelling, both on screen and 
off. And so, so many people online are just remembering her amazing roles and just how hilarious she was. And I thought it was very, very important to make sure that we highlight the beautiful work that she is doing. And so, yeah. Did you ever watch Arrested Development? A bit. Yeah, it's pretty funny. I oh, use yeah. I use a lot of her uh, her memes on my uh, like. There's one where she has her cocktail, her martini, and then the one where she faints. It's just like she's just a, a brilliant actress, and it's just really good to um, always give people their their flowers, of no matter course. what. Edie seems so young. Yeah, Edie is pretty young, actually. Think about that. I'm like halfway through my basically life now, almost. If I pass at eighty, you know what you just did, right? What you made Jessica Walters death about yourself. <laughs> <laughs> That Every time I hear about a death, I think, oh. Do you really? Sometimes. It's like a really Do you strange... think it's healthy to think about death? Because I know we should be talking yes, about actually, death. No, yes, it is. Because life, the, the beauty of life would not be what it is if it weren't for the ending. Yeah. Like, in the, in the good place, they touch on that, right? Yeah. Where it's like you need to have an ending to kind of to know how special life is. That's the only thing that I kind of hate about getting older because you start to realize like, oh my God, like family members and just people around you are getting older and then coming out of the pandemic, how, you know, so many unfortunate people have passed and it's just like, yeah, I sometimes don't want to talk about it, but I do know it's important. It'll, it'll, it will come up more as you get older. We've talked about this on our show before where we've, you know, talked about how uncomfortable it can be with um, those conversations about death. You should check it's that out. Head over strange. to It is, it is. But check out our old shows. I mean, literally, I feel like we just had this conversation. So head over to the radio.com app and search Let's Go There. Uh-huh. We're wrapping up the shows we always do with our Yes Queen of the Day. Yes Queen! And uh, this one goes out to Alan Turing. You might be wondering, who is that? Well, the Bank of England has just released a new uh, design for the $50 bill that features him. And he was a gay mathematician whose theories were highly influential in the development of computer science. And his work during World War II helped allied forces crack coded Nazi messages. I'm reading this. As you can imagine, because I didn't, I didn't know what this was before, and defeat Axis forces, and that helped win the war. So, for featuring someone you might not have known in history today, Alan Turing. All right, okay. The more you know, and that does it for our <laughs> Yaz Queen of the Day. Yes, Queen. And if you want to nominate someone for our Yaz Queen of the Day or an organization, just hit us up on social media. At LGT Show. And actually, you had a big announcement today that you're hosting a HRC thing. No, not an HRC okay. thing. <laughs> Close. Um, it's Equality California. Oh, Equality we love California. Them here on Channel Q. They are having an evening for equality on April 22nd. So save the day. It's online, it's virtual, 6 p.m. Pacific. I'm hosting it. There's some amazing special guests like. Um, you know, Honey Mahogany, Peppermint, Justin Tratner. Um, it's really going to be beautiful. Some amazing conversations and raising money for the LGBTQ plus community. It. So tune in. I'm doing some charity stuff. I'm very, very excited to be hosting and was really asked and honored that they asked me to be a part. So check it out. Cool. So good. Congratulations, Thank Ryan. Thank you. And you can check that out at LGT Show, also on social media. We shared it there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we'll be back tomorrow, same time, 2 to 6 p.m. Pacific, 5 to 9 p.m. Eastern. On tomorrow's show, we're going to be talking about the filibuster and how it's been used in um, defending slavery to protecting segregation. Basically, used to block civil rights. 
So that's on tomorrow's show. Plus, if you miss any of our shows or interviews, we post everything as a podcast. So you can catch up on our podcast and subscribe. Just go to the radio.com app or where podcasts are available and search Let's Go There. We are sending you love and light. And honey, remember to say. See you tomorrow. Have a great night and stick around for Love Line, where Dr. Chris is covering couples therapy. Oh, that's interesting. Bye, y'all.